Today, I just want to bring you into this sermon called The Idol of Disobedience. The Idol of Disobedience. You guys know that we just got back from our little mini vacation that was way too long. I don't know what I was thinking. I guess I was, I was just ready to rest, and I took a vacation that was way too long. Second to last day, I was like, yeah, this is over. Um, I enjoyed my time with my wife in a way that probably we haven't done so since we didn't have children. Uh, we know how that goes. And, uh, but we had a great time. Just so hot. <laughs> so hot. I don't, know, I don't know what God is doing, but it's hot. <laughs> Whatever he's doing, it's hot. Anyway, now that I, we're talking about hot, Sergio texted me because we missed one announcement. This Saturday, the men will be meeting once again. Last week they met. Um, last week they met. It was a small group. And so if you're a man in this house or you know somebody that needs just a, a community of healthy men leading them who are also dealing with their stuff and who also want to lead other men in the Lord, please come this Saturday, 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock in the morning, and he said, we're serving hot breakfast. And I said, what is hot breakfast? He said, it's not bagels and fruit salad, which is what I was providing. So I'll just pray for Sergio. Um, So gentlemen, can we honor you? Can the men who are now leading the men's ministry, a whole new crew, it won't just be me. I'll be receiving along with you, but God is doing a tremendous work in this house. Amen. So we go on vacation. We go to Rome. We're walking around, and you, you go to Rome, there's like these key places that you should stop and visit, right? And one of those places, although my mother-in-law said, why would you do that? We went to the Vatican. And it was weird. When we're walking there, I'm like, you know, are we just kind of... And in my mind, I'm like, we're just doing this for historical purposes. Like, we just, you know, we know the history of it, and we had gotten, like, a history lesson the day before that gave us information about the Vatican that is kind of unpopular, and I'll share that with you in a second. But we're walking there, and as we're walking there, something, like, overcame me. And I'm like, we're really walking and paying to go into a church that is just a museum, So I guess I can put church in quotations because really it's more of a museum than it is a church. Um, And before I get into this, I'm not bashing the Catholics. That's not the point of what I'm... I guess what I'm looking for us to explore is how there are so many people on earth who have looked to a city, who continue looking to a man... Because we long to see something tangible that would bring us close to God. But the truth is that it's very possible that God is not there. It's grand. It's religious. There's symbols everywhere. Jesus is still hanging on the cross in the Catholic Church. If you notice that in most Reformed churches or Protestant churches where you see a cross, you don't see a Jesus hanging on there because he's not hanging on a cross. He is risen. He is alive. He is not dead. Now, it's a reminder of what he submitted that day, his life on that cross. But the truth is, is that he's not on the cross. And so we're walking there, and we finally end our our tour. I was done. And the entire time, I thought I was done because I was just hot. It was hot. And um, 
We walk in the, into the Sistine Chapel and we're looking up at the ceiling and they're screaming at everybody, put your phones away, stop talking. And I'm just like, man, imagine if I did that at One Life. <laughs> stop talking, put your phones away. But the Sistine Chapel, friends, is a church. That is where the priests gather, they hold mass, that's where they take the vote for the next pope, which is God's gift to earth according to them. The truth is, friends, the pope is just another man. If God has called him to pastor, then he should do so in a way that honors God Almighty, but he is not a king in the same way that any one of us that is called to lead God's church on earth in modern time. We are not kings. A lot of us grew up learning that the pastor was set aside as something tremendous. Yeah, we, we may have been set aside in the same way that you were set aside from burning in hell. So were we. But we are servants here to labor and serve the church, to pull the sheep out of the mud and work and bleed and sweat. That is why God has called us to this work. We are not kings. And where we spent money to go to this big old museum with museums inside of it, we leave and we're hot and Diorca is trying to fill up her water in one of these of many like water spouts around Rome where you can fill up your water bottles and we sat down and we said, this is heartbreaking. People's hope is increased because they're in this building where it's possible that God is not. Now, I'm not saying he's not omnipresent, but I also know that he cannot be in the presence of evil because it goes counter to him. Unless he desires to, of course, he is the king. So many people that proclaim standing here that they are Christians and that their hope is in Christ, but it's not. Their hope is in a religion. Their hope is in a person that is broken just like any one of us. And our hearts were broken because the Vatican City is a, is a country. It doesn't belong to Italy. It's its own country. I don't know if you knew that. And also a very unpopular fact is that the Vatican was built with stolen items from other historical sites in Rome. And when you walk around these walls of this Vatican castle, in this castle you see that the rows, um, the, the hallways are lined with artifacts and they're about astronomy and astrology and the Greek gods. And I'm like, Friends, that's idolatry. When you walk into St. Peter's and on every little insert and inlet around the building, you see idols and idols and popes that are mummified, laying in boxes. That is them, mummified, because they are kings and they are gods with a lowercase g. These are men that have passed on. This is idolatry and God. And so St. Peter's is dedicated to Peter and also to the Apostle Paul. And as I'm standing there and I'm looking at this idolatry, I say, it is Peter and Paul who would look at this and burn the building down. And I asked Yorka this question, why do we, those who have protested against the Catholic Church and religion in particular, why do we look at this and just say, it's okay. It's not okay. Not only is it not okay, but when we go back to Scripture, 
In the very first book of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 11, join me there, please. In Genesis chapter 11, we learn about a tower that was built for idolatry. It was called the Tower of Babel. And if you are English, of English descent, the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel. Genesis chapter 11, verse 1 through 9. And I'm going to read it here. First verse says, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us, build, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and uh, bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. If you have your Bible, would you just underline that? Lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Verse 5 says, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people. They have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Doesn't that sound awesome? Nothing they propose to do will be impossible for them. It sounds nice, but they were wrong. Verse 7, come, let us go down. And there confuse their language. This is God. Let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. Anybody else confused? Here we often talk about, in Scripture, about the unity of the body. And here, God's people have been united. One language, one vision. Let's build this city. Let's make our name great. And God says, you know what? Let's go down there and confuse them. Verse 8. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth. And they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. So between chapters 1 and chapter 11 of the book of Genesis, we see that there are four major events. First, the creation of the universe. Then we see the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. Then the flood that covers the earth, right? We know the flood. And now we're looking at the attempted construction of the Tower of Babel because Scripture tells us here that it was not completed. In these chapters, we see, in these chapters and in these events, we see that God had instruction and intention for man, but man's pride and sinful nature gets in the way and man disobeys. God judges man's sin and disobedience, and then in his grace, he makes a new beginning. Despite man's sin, disobedience, and pride, God makes a way. His plan will always win. All right? That goes for you. In many ways, we have made towers of ourselves. But God has a plan and an intention for us. And he will do what he needs to do because his will is perfect and it will win. Adam and Eve eat the fruit, but God clothed them and promises to send man a redeemer. 
Cain kills Abel, but God sends Seth to continue on this godly line. The descendants of Seth, this supposed godly line, mixed the bloodlines with the Cainites. And though God had to flood the earth to correct this, Noah and his family repopulate the earth as part of God's perfect plan. But it was with Noah that we see one of the most arrogant revolts against God recorded in Scripture, and that is the building of the Tower of Babel. While God was making a covenant with Noah, right? This is after the flood. He says this in Genesis chapter 9, verse 7, if you have your Bibles open. In Genesis 9, 7, he says, And you be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. In another version, you might say, spread out unto all the earth. But what does man do? Now we're going back to this city in Babylon, and we're going to, let's, let's build ourselves a tower. Since we all speak the same language and we feel this incredible unity, let's stay close and disobey God, create this fenced-off area, and build upwards. God's instruction was for the survivors of the flood to populate the earth and to multiply in it, to scatter across the earth and to reset humanity. It's very clear. Instead, they decided to move again to Babylon, settle there in a city called Babel. This is complete rebellion against what God had asked them to do. Their plan in disobedience was to create a tower which is also known as the ziggurat, can we put up the image really quick? I just want to explain this. So that's just an artist rendering of what we're reading about here. A pyramid-like structure that had steps where you could walk to the top. The difference in the Egyptian pyramids, which were probably uh, built with this obviously a similar structure, the exception is that it didn't have stairs on the outside. This was built in such a way that you could go up these stairs up to an altar that would sit on top of the tower where you could worship gods and goddesses. It wasn't so that they could move into a godly space or because they wanted to dethrone God. Instead, it was an altar that they built up high so that God could come down and speak to them atop this tower. So again, like we're, like you almost want to feel like, hey, they, they had a good intention. They had a, they had a good reason to do this. They wanted to feel like they were closer to God. But why did they want this tower? Why did they want to stay together instead of purposely being disobedient to what God was asking of them? It doesn't sound so bad that they long to be together, right? Anybody else a little bit confused? Like, we long to be together. Is that a bad thing? Perhaps it was because of fear. They were afraid to leave the known for the unknown. Is that familiar with anybody? You ever had to make a decision where you had two good options, but you knew one and didn't really know the other one? It didn't sound so bad that they wanted to be together. But friends, even good things done in disobedience are bad things before God. I'm going to say that again. 
Friends, even good things done in disobedience are bad things before God. Staying with mom and dad is a great thing, unless God has instructed you to cleave to your wife and leave. Staying at your current job is a wonderful choice for provision. God gave you work, but if he has instructed you to move on, then you move on. Making your spouse happy is a great thing, but if they keep you from chasing and devoting yourself to God, they have become your idol. And your children. You know what? I, I, you know, it's one thing, like when you're single, you can really devote everything to God. But when you were single, did you devote everything to God? Because when you're single, it's also, you have a good time. You have the time and the opportunities to hang out and enjoy your life. In every season of our lives, we can make an idol of what could be good things. A marriage is a good thing, but when it gets in the way of what God has instructed us to do, it becomes sin. Good things become sin when they get in the way of what God has ordained and what he is asking of us. This is what happened in Babel. They were a proud people, people united by a similar culture, the same culture, the same language. It's the same. The first thing we see in verse 1, it says, now the whole earth had one language. Usually one language will bring on a very similar culture. But they were still in disobedience. They wanted to build the greatest tower in the greatest city instead of doing what God had asked them to do. In Rome alone, there are 900 basilicas, 900 churches. You could spend three years visiting a different church every day and still have a couple left. Churches are good things. But they are made evil when the intention for them becomes idolatry and a museum for spectating instead of a hospital of grace for healing and reconciliation. This is not a museum. God calls each of us into something. Remember two weeks ago, we, I preached under that question, right? Like, Where do I fit in? God has given each of us a mission. He's given each of us giftings. We know that the mission is to go and make disciples. And how many disciples have you made? That's a real question. So we know what the mission is. God has established in the Gospels when he commissions man to go and do what he has asked. And yet week after week the church gathers. But how many disciples have been made? So do we simply stay and make church? We make it sound beautiful and we're cozy and we're among the familiar, but we deny the instruction to be missionaries to our own communities. Why? We were on vacation. And on, on Friday night, I told my wife, I don't know that I can not go to church on Sunday. So... I said to my wife, would it be okay if we found a local church to go to? Not realizing that in Italy, it's really hard to find a church that is not a Catholic church. So I start emailing the pastors because we found a couple of churches. I emailed two pastors. One pastor immediately, absolutely, come out. We're so excited to have you here. But there was one church that I found after that conversation with Pastor Dobson 
something popped up on Google, and it was Mosaico Church, a Mosaico Church, which for us is Mosaic Church. And immediately I felt like something was drawing me to that church. And I emailed Pastor Dobson. I'm like, Pastor, I'm sorry I got you so excited, but God is asking me to go to Mosaico. And we go, and I'm excited. I'm like, I get to go to church in Italy. This is incredible. And we walk up, and we're nervous, right? And Pastor Scott, his name is Scott Pesto. We walk up to the church, and you know, if you know, we were in Florence, and Florence, I didn't know this, it's like a Renaissance city. Everything is shopping and artwork, and everything's just super expensive. And we're walking down the street, and all of a sudden, it's like when you walk in Garden City, and all of a sudden, you end up in Hempstead, and you're like, right? I, I grew up in Hempstead, and so when you're, when you're driving up Clinton, right, you're driving... And all of a sudden, it's like, dun, 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 and they just go, dun, 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 shh. I'm dead serious. The road in Garden City is beautiful. And the minute you get into Hempstead, I mean, realize that this is a problem because people can't control roads. Pay attention to that. The minute you go into Hempstead, it's bumpy. That's exactly how it was. We're walking through Florence, and because I didn't want to pay taxes. My money was getting low. So... We're, walk, we're walking through Florence, and this is beautiful. Wow, we're in a different t- uh, part of town that we hadn't been to. And all of a sudden, I see garbage on the road. And I'm like, oh, what is this? And it just started getting bad, and the people started changing to locals. And I'm like, oh. And I'm like, it would make sense that the church is here. It immediately told me the heart of the pastor, and I hadn't even met him. I hadn't even seen the church yet. And all of a sudden, we walk up to a sign that says, Mosaico Church, Benvenuto, welcome. I'm like, oh, this is one of my guys. And we're listening. I sit in one of the chairs far away because I don't want to be in anybody's way. And I'm just watching, like, hospitality. I see the worship. And, you know, Pastor uh, Scott, I'm going to expose myself here. But Pastor Scott gives the worship team one Sunday a month or one Sunday every two months off. I know, I knew Mariah was, was going to respond in that way. So, I'm, 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 in, I'm in this service, and the service is in English, and they start, boom, he start, they start worshiping. No music, just a video on the wall, and they're worshiping. And I'm like, oh, man, this is my language. And then Pastor Scott starts preaching. It's in English, so I'm understanding all of it. And I'm just like, and he ends with saying this. We have to understand that as a church, God in Matthew 28, 19 is calling us to go therefore and make in Italy, in Florence, Italy, there is a church that is also even today learning that what God asks of us is not to make a tower of our church of disobedience. He is telling us that the one job we have to do, friends, is to go and make disciples. There are millions of people that walk into a building who are probably signing waivers of death because they do not know who Jesus Christ is. It's beautiful that we could be gathered in a building like this. This is not a bad thing, but it is a bad thing when we don't do when he, what he asks us to do. And just like these people that God was allowing to multiply onto this earth, he told them, go. But they built to stay in familiarity 
when he tells us 2,000 years ago, go. Walk into the unfamiliar because all you need is me. I am all that you need. I know it's uncomfortable. But if you are obedient, you will always have me with you. So are we doing that today, friends? On Monday morning, I got to sit with Pastor Scott, interrupt my vacation, because I needed to speak to this man of God. And the first thing I said to him was like, listen, man, I don't have much. And we are a small church. I'm sure that you're used to working with all of these churches in the U.S. that give you buckets of money. But I will tell you something. Our church knows, and if they don't know yet, they will know, that we are willing to walk into any setting where God is doing work. And Pastor Scott is pastoring. Although Florence is known for its affluence, he is pastoring in a desert where people don't know Jesus, but they know a lot of religion. His children, I didn't know this, but in public schooling in Italy, the kids have to go through Catholic education, which they call religion. And it is. But what happens when you don't believe in that? And his children are part of that. And he is willing to leave the comfort of Illinois to go, therefore, and make disciples of all of the world. And I said this to him. I said, I have the ability to sit and pastor a church in New York. Whatever you need, we will try our best to help you get it. Because we will participate with whoever is doing gospel work in wherever God allows us to meet them so that they can do a work. And let me tell you this. The one thing he asked me for was this. We have the opportunity to finish the education for a volunteer in the church, a young man who wants to finish his ministry, and all he needs is $2,500 to finish. And on behalf of all of you, I said, we will pay for it. What's $2,500 to get another pastor working at a church? Now, does he need this course to start pastoring? No, he's already serving but we will do what they need that they feel they need, right? In that moment, he wants to make sure that he has people that are ready and trained to do the work because their mission field looks different than ours. It is cold. And listen, we're in the northeast of the United States. Pastor, Scott, Pastor Justin, you know very well, it is cold up here spiritually. We, have to feel, we always feel like we have to convince people into doing the work of Jesus and being missionaries. And when we sat for breakfast, he said this to me, and I'm almost done with this story. He says, if God allowed me the opportunity to move back to the United States and not pastor Mosaico anymore, I never want to pastor in the U.S. And I'm like, why? He's like, because the people back home, they don't get it. Because they're willing, and I'm grateful what they give us. They, I'm grateful that they would be willing to invest in us. But they aren't even willing to invest in their own communities. They send out missionaries, and it feels like they send out people to different parts of the world because they're unwilling to do that themselves. So it's nice to pull out money and invest in somebody else to do something that God has asked you to do. And he says, not realizing that they don't even make disciples. They don't send out local missionaries. And so this is my stretch to you today. You are all called to be missionaries. What have you done to be obedient to the Lord? 
Go therefore and make disciples. Ask yourself this question often. What have I done to increase the kingdom? Have I reached out to that one person that I say I love? Been obedient to the Lord and said, hey, Jesus loves you. What does that take you? It doesn't take you anything except a little discomfort. Obedience hurts, friends. It does. You remember being a kid, and maybe some of you are still being disobedient today. Have you seen those videos where they ask the little kids, like, all right, there's three pieces of candy or three marshmallows. Don't touch it until I get back. And you see how those kids are just like, We're born with it. Remember, sin is kind of tasty. Breaking the rules is risky. There's something savory about doing the opposite of the good things you know you're supposed to do. And many of us are still stuck in that. It's like, I know I want to do the right thing, but whoo, that marshmallow looked good. Disobedience becomes an idol. And these good things that God has given us, our family, our marriages, our jobs, our friends, they become sin when it gets in the way of what God has asked us to do. So what does God do with the towers of disobedience? Verse 6 to 8 says, And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and therefore confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. God will not be ridiculed. His will will not be ignored. He will make a way out of our mess. God recognized their plan was grand. He recognized their unity, their togetherness, and he destroyed it. Yes. He confused them by changing their language, removing their false sense of security because there was a work to do to fill the earth. God comes in creates confusion and disunity because his will needed to be done. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Anybody have plans? His plan stands above. Our plans will not stand if they are not his plans. His will will always stand despite our disobedience. And even in our disobedience, he has a plan and a way out. And that is the beauty of the story of Babel. He had a plan. They disobeyed, and God still had a master plan to get them out of their mess. And he will do whatever he needs to do, friends, to get you back on track. We need to stop being rebellious. We need to just surrender and say, Lord, I know that what you are asking me to do is hard. If he's asking you to reconcile your marriage, that's hard work. But he longs for you to do that. 
He doesn't want to see separation. If he's asking you to do the very same with a neighbor, with a friend and a family member, it's hard work. But it's obedience to God. And when we're obedient, all of his riches and all of his resources are available to us. Genesis asked me this morning in the car, how do you guys feel about the phrase, does God give you more than you can handle? He absolutely does. He gives you many things that you cannot handle. And the reason why you live through it is because he sufficed the remainder. Can we close our eyes? Let's close our eyes. Our response to a story like this, friends, like I said before, is just for you to ask the Lord, have I been disobedient anywhere? Is there something in my life that I have made an idol of? And I want to remind you that idolatry is absolute sin. So what idol is there in your life? Is there something that you're idolizing in your life? Is there something that you're constantly placing before God that you give so much attention to that you know belongs instead to the Father? And the invitation before God has to come in and destroy it for you, would you do so yourself? And we keep praying that all those who know religion but don't yet know Christ, that they would come to know the Lord and may he use us to bring them. You have friends that are dying. They may look healthy, but they're on the fast track to death, eternal death. What are you doing to give them life? Let's pray.